Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. The Old and New Testaments have different views on martyrdom. We see Zechariah's final words asking for vengeance, whereas Stephen's are asking for forgiveness. What does this mean for us today, and how should we live these words out? You're listening to Stephen and Zechariah by Rev. Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this evening is from the book of Acts. I'll be reading Acts chapter 7, verses 54 through chapter 8, verse 3. And that's the end of a long story, the story of Stephen uh, before the Sanhedrin in the courts of the temple. Stephen, one of the first deacons in the church, I think, as you know, stands up and gives a long, very confrontational speech to the leaders of the temple. And basically, he goes through all of salvation history, talks about God's faithfulness and human failure. And then at the end of the speech, it sort of climaxes, well, this is, I've, he's finished speaking. He's, tell them, he, I'll start at 52. Sorry, I hate to change it on you. Let's start at 52. And he, at the end of his speech, he says this to the leaders, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. Now here's the reaction. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, and while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we just read the end of the very familiar story of the martyrdom of Stephen. And if you grew up in the church, I'm going to take it for granted that this is a story that you know. If you grew up in the church, it's a Sunday school story that you hear told. It's, if you went to a Christian school, it's a, Sunday, it's a story that you, you hear told. Um, but I don't want to start with what we just read, with the stoning of Stephen. I want to start with another martyr story, someone that I will bet that you don't know near as well, someone who was also in the Bible and someone else whose martyrdom involved him being stoning, stoned to death. And that is Zechariah, son of Jehoiada. I wonder how many of you know who Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada is. Not the Zechariah, the prophet from the Bible book. This is a different Zechariah. This is a Zechariah you find in 2 Chronicles 24. And his story is amazingly parallel to that of Stephen's. Zechariah lived at the end of the reign of King Joash. 
Now, if you remember your Bible stories, King Joash was the king who, when he was young, they found the law in the temple. Remember that story? And they realized how far they'd fallen away from keeping the law. And so there was a great revival. They knocked down a lot of, of, of idle places, and they started to keep the law, and there was a revival of temple worship. And it was great for a while. But then at the end of Joash's reign, things began to slide and things began to slip and people began to worship idols again and the Asherah poles were resurrected again and things went poorly. Zechariah was a prophet of that era and he saw that the people were sliding back. And so much like Stephen does, he goes to the temple and he confronts the leaders. He confronts them on their wickedness. And just like Stephen does, Stephen's pretty confrontational in this passage. Zechariah is confrontational too. Why do you disobey the Lord's command, says Zechariah? Because you have forsaken the Lord, the Lord has forsaken you. And much as it goes with Stephen, when you confront powerful people that way, when he confronts the leaders of the temple, that way they don't like it. So you go to the king, they get Zechariah arrested, and then in the courts of the temple, they stone him to death. I mean, you see the parallels, right? Two people confronting the established powers. In both cases, the established powers don't like it. They take this prophetic person and stone him to death. So there's an amazing parallel between their two martyrdoms right up to the very end, and then they're different in a really interesting way. Zechariah uses his last breath, you can look it up later if you want, to say, as he's dying, he says, may the Lord see this and avenge. Zechariah's dying words are, may the Lord see this and revenge. That's very different than Stephen's final words, which is, Lord, may this sin not be held against them. Similar right up to the end, but different words at the end. And the differences are understandable when you begin to look at the whole sweep, the whole movement of Scripture. When Zechariah calls for vengeance in Second Chronicles, he is simply echoing the language of his time and his tradition. He is, for instance, right in line with the psalmist of Psalm 79, a psalm that he probably knew. Psalm 79 is also a psalm of words from someone who knows what it's like to be a victim. Someone who's been a victim of injustice, who's seen the shedding of innocent blood. And just like Zechariah, or preceding Zechariah, the psalmist rises up and asks for vengeance. Pour out your wrath, Lord. Pay back into their laps seven times the hurt they gave us. Before our eyes, make known among the nations that you will avenge the blood of your servants. So Zechariah and the Psalms of Psalm 79 are on the same page. They're in the same tradition. If Zechariah grew up with Psalm 79, he's echoing what he heard his whole life. They're reading from the same playbook. And actually, if you go on even deeper, we know what playbook they're reading from. The book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 35, to be exact. What is in Numbers 35? Numbers 35 is where God lays out for Israel the law concerning the avengers of blood. In Israel, if someone was murdered in malice, 
You could find someone in your family and appoint that person the avenger of blood. You remember this law? And that person could find the person who killed your family member and could kill them within the bounds of the law without being subject to murder charges. It was like sanctioned vigilantism, right? A way to keep the peace. Here's a little bit of that law from Numbers 35 to explain. If anyone with malice aforethought shoves another or throws something at him intentionally so that he dies or in hostility hits him with a fist so that he dies, that person shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets them. So both the psalmist of Psalm 79, when he says, calls out for vengeance, and Zechariah are speaking out of the tradition of that law. They're speaking out of the law of Numbers 35 for the avenger of blood, only instead of getting a family member to be the avenger of blood, which they cannot do, they are calling out for God to be the avenger of blood. Lord, I don't have a family member who could do this. You be the avenger of blood. You make this right. So we shouldn't be surprised that Zechariah reacts to his stoning for acting, asking for vengeance. He's right in line with the traditions that he knows. But Stephen knows a different way. Stephen knows that the avenger of blood has already come. In a strange way, the Lord, our God and Father, answers the prayer of Psalm 79. And he answers the plea of Zechariah as he dies. He does send the avenger of blood. Remember, where does the avenger of blood come from? It has to be a family member, right? Who's the avenger of blood? Jesus, his own son, the avenger of blood, comes to the people who are responsible for all the innocent blood that cries out from the ground comes to them and he confronts them only in a twist that nobody saw coming. The avenger of blood does not go around cutting off heads, swinging swords, executing people left and right. Instead, the avenger of blood climbs up on a cross, lets his own blood and life spill to the ground, and as he dies, says, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus is sent to the world as the avenger of blood. He's come to settle accounts, but when the time comes for blood to be shed, he sheds his own. Stephen knows the amazing grace of Jesus. And so when he's facing death, he doesn't act out of the Psalm 79 tradition or the Numbers tradition. He acts out of the grace of Jesus Christ. And so when he dies, he says, in echo of his Savior, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And now, ever since Jesus, there has been a change in the way we look at martyrs. In the Old Testament, when the blood of the martyr was shed, the call was for justice. The martyr's blood cried out from the ground and needed retaliation. But ever since the New Testament, ever since Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood, we have looked, as a tradition, differently at martyrs. Yes, we want justice for them, but mostly when their blood is shed, we think of that blood as a victory. And we say things like what Tertullian said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. We don't seek 
vengeance for them, we celebrate their victory. So in the early church, they celebrated people like Peter and Paul and Polycarp and Agnes and Barbara and Dorothy. You don't know all those names, but if you were Catholic, you would. They were all celebrated as early martyrs, and their, their names were not remembered as ways to remember the, 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 the evil that was done against them so vengeance could be done later. So often, these evil deeds are remembered so that vengeance could be made later. These names were all remembered as signs of victory, to commemorate the victory they'd won in Christ. The economy of martyrdom changes because of the blood of Jesus. And what they did in the early church, we're still doing that today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, killed in a Nazi prison camp. Archbishop Romero of El Salvador, killed right over the altar as he was celebrating Mass. Cassie Bernal, killed looking down the barrel of a gun at Columbine High School. 20 Coptic Christians, executed on a beach in Libya while they sang hymns of praise. Father Damien, dying for the lepers he took care of. We tell these stories of martyrdom, but we don't tell them to remember the anger or remember the injustice. We tell them as stories of victory. The spilling of Jesus' blood, the avenger of blood, has changed the economy of martyrdom, changed the economy of sacrifice forever. Is this change real? When we celebrate the victory of these martyrs, when we celebrate the victory of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is that a real victory? Or is that just something that sounds good in an inspirational quote? The victory is real. Back in 2003, I read a newspaper article um, written by a man named Mark Mathbane. Mark Mathbane grew up in South Africa. Uh, he's a black man, grew up in South Africa during the time of apartheid, and he grew up in one of the townships. He was among the poorest of the poor in those townships. And when he was a kid, he slept on a cardboard mat. He used to have to scavenge in a dump to get food for his family. He saw friends die of what should have been treatable diseases. And the only time he had really close contact with white people was when, in the middle of the night, white policemen would break into his house and interrogate his parents and humiliate him. And as you can imagine, this is how he grew up, it created in him a deep antipathy towards white people, white South Africans. It gave him a spirit of Psalm 79. He thought all white people must be heartless monsters, and so he started imagining himself like an avenger of blood. He said he and all his friends wanted AK-47s and bombs so that they could storm white homes, kindergartens, shopping centers, schools, buses, and playgrounds in the name of revenge. That was the imagery that filled his mind. There was one event, however, that finally turned him to violence and kept him from following the path of avenger of blood. His mother needed help reestablishing his birth certificate, and so a Catholic nun, out of the goodness of her heart, came over to help her mom make this birth certificate for him. And while she was there, she didn't just do the paperwork with mom. She asked mom about her life and how life had been for her in the townships. And mom started spilling out her pain 
And the nun listened. And she asked questions, and she listened some more, and stayed way longer than she needed to. And when her mother, when Mark's mother started to cry, so did the nun. And Mark Mathbane said, those are the first tears I'd ever seen streak a white face. I remember saying to myself, she feels my mother's pain. She's human after all, not a monster. This one small act of sacrifice and kindness was enough to turn him away from the path of revenge. Now, I know that nun was not a martyr. She did not give up her life for the sake of that family. But she made sacrifices. She put herself in danger to go in that place. And her tears were a kind of spilling of her blood on behalf of this family. And even that little bit of sacrifice, even that little bit of compassion was enough to change Mark's heart. You will not be called to be martyrs in the conventional sense of the word. It has been a long, long time since someone from West Michigan has been called to give their life for the gospel. And Lord willing, it will be a long time before that happens. But every single day, you'll go into situations in your work, in your family, into the streets of this city, where you will be called to make sacrifices, spill your tears, spill your effort, spill your blood for the sake of the people you meet. Absorb their pain, absorb their anger, and try to give out blessing. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. We are all everyday martyrs, shedding our blood one drop at a time, one tear at a time. The martyrdom may not be as dramatic, but because the blood of Jesus is behind it, it's every bit as powerful. So fellow martyrs, having gathered under the cross and having seen what the avenger of blood did for us, let us go out into the world and shed our blood for the life of the world. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the ways that your life in this world and the sacrifice you made on the cross fulfills and changes so many things. We thank you for the way your blood changes the economy of sacrifice in this world and gives us a hope that goes far beyond the hope of common sense or human power. Lord, make us people of your sacrifice this week. Anchor us deeply in your love. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for listening to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.